from the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Ahoy listeners and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. I'm David Harris and my sidekick, I shouldn't say sidekick, my bag schlepper. My bag schlepper, <laughs> excellent, is Mark Gordon. Hello Mark. Hi David, how are you doing? I'm looking forward to going away without you. Mean. With 24 hours. I'm going to catch you. You're going to catch up with me and I'll have lots to tell you. Where are we going? This, for me, and I believe for you as well, is actually a long, long, long-term dream of mine, an ambition of mine, to travel on the Silk Road to, well, to, just to a magical place, Uzbekistan. Yeah. My dream was always to go to India. That was the last episode. <laughs> so I had to come up with a new dream. No, I've, I've wanted to go to Uzbekistan, and particularly places like Samarkand. They look magical as you say. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next half hour, an hour. We're going to be bringing you the audio imagery from Samarkand and from Bukhara. And before that, I'm going for 24 hours all on my own. Is it that long? It's probably not that long, actually. Oh, it's 18 hours. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I've got... After a hard day's work in Tashkent, you'll be there to pick me up at the airport. I've got to head out after a hard day's work in Jerusalem in my day job to take a lovely flight with Uzbekistan Airways. Delighted and excited to be flying with them. And what I'm going to be doing while Mark is celebrating his birthday, so happy birthday to you. It's not my birthday. You're going on a birthday treat, am I right? But it's not my birthday. It's my wife's birthday. <laughs> Is it your wife's birthday? It was. And this was the treat we bought her for a birthday. Oh, I thought it was for your birthday. My birthday's in August. I'm very confused. Anyway, happy birthday, Catherine. While Mark is sunning himself on the beaches of Tel Aviv, I will be working hard at the Tashkent International Tourism Fair. Tourism on the Silk Road in 2022 and 23. Silk Road. We've been there before, haven't we? Where did we go? We were at the sort of the other end of the Silk Road in cars in Turkey. We certainly were. And we would like one day to go to China and see all of the other bits of the Silk Road and the Spice Route and so on. So if you're listening out there, folks, make the offer. That's a long piece of silk. No. <laughs> uh, we need to ask a quiz question. So here's my suggestion for a quiz question. And there is only one. Geographically, Liechtenstein... I know we're talking about Uzbekistan, but Liechtenstein and Uzbekistan have something in common geographically that they share that no other country on earth shares. What is it? Is it that you can't pronounce either? You're going to say, why? What, what, how do you say Liechtenstein? Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein, Liechtenstein. Iceberg, Goldberg. Yeah, it's all the same to me. Anyway, the answer's at the end of the pod. And Mark, I'll see you in Tashkent tomorrow. Safe trip, David. Thanks, sweetie. This is Mark Gordon from the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. The party is about to begin. This is the Tashkent International Tourism Fair. This is David Harris reporting from the capital of Uzbekistan. Over the next few moments, we're going to be taking a tour of the Silk Road, that magical historical route that traversed Asia, brought trade from the Far East to Europe and vice versa. It was, if you will, the corridor to modern commerce. Gathered around me are thousands of people, particularly from the areas of the Silk Road, all the way from Turkey, across the Central Asian area, all those places that you know as the stands. Obviously, this is Uzbekistan, but it's surrounded by other stands as well. The announcement that you can probably hear in the background is asking the delegates, the visitors, to come into one of the main auditoria 
for the official opening ceremony. After a two-year break, we are pleased to see you once again at the 27th Tashkent International Tourism Fair, Tourism on the Silk Road, which brought us all together in one circle, in the same place, for one purpose. Hopefully you're going to be able to hear me over the din. There are two pavilions. I happen to have walked into the one which is largely promoting what Uzbekistan has to offer. I don't know if you've been to a tourism fair before, but very often, in addition to all of the stands and stalls that you would expect, there are lots of things to see. So right now, I've actually come up to the stall of the Republic of Karakalpakstan, where a woman in Central Asian clothing, uh, the woman who has, I would say, Asiatic features, is dancing beautifully. She's in reds and blacks, and behind her, there is a gentleman playing what looks to me like an oud, which I guess is somewhere between a mandolin and a guitar, and singing alongside is a lady in a beautiful green dress, and we're going to listen to her singing right now. And as she's singing, I should tell you that she's bedecked or bejeweled with the most wonderful ruby red breastplate. And on her wrists are, I guess, I don't even know the word, I would say anklets on her wrist, but I'm sure there's a, a more proper word. In the area of the Jizak region, we have some more dancing going on and chanting. So let's get in as close as we possibly can to listen to this. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. What great timing that was. There is so much to describe here. The dresses that people are wearing are stunning. There are images of the walled cities that you can go and visit if you head to particular regions. So this stand that I am next to is for the city of Khiva. Good morning, dear guests, dear people. Today, in this special event, we will try to do our best to develop our tourism in all regions of Uzbekistan and especially in Horizon region. So Kiwa is one of the best destinations to travel and to enjoy and to feel the uh, local preserved cultural heritage. So we invite all of our local and foreign friends to visit Uzbekistan to feel the beauty and historical sites of Uzbekistan and visit Horizon, visit Kiwa. For those people who don't know Kiva, just from what I see on videos and from the model that you have in the corner, it looks like the most amazing place. Tell us a little about it. It is the first UNESCO heritage site in Uzbekistan, which is registered in 1990s, even before the independence of Uzbekistan. So by visiting Kiwa, you will find Ichankala, which, is, which means inner fortress, one of the best preserved open air museums in the world. You will see amazing architecture, minarets, mosques and madrasas of medieval ages. And you will really enjoy also the local culture and local food, lovely people, hospitable people, always give you a best mood. Islam Abrahimov, thank you. Thank you very much for being interviewed. And I really want to see our friends in Uzbekistan. This place is really phenomenal. It is hot and happening. I'm going to follow some more musicians who you may have heard in the middle of that interview with Islam Abrahimov. They are making quite the racket. I'm going to make sure that we get some video up as well and photographs. Let's get some more sounds. I'm currently surrounded by smiling people, 
wearing the most incredible gear. The men are in, I don't want to say dressing gowns, but they look like silk dressing gowns of gold and purple thread. The women are in sky blue and gold with so many patterns on what they're wearing. It's just beautiful. I'm crouched down low so that I'm not disturbing, but I hope you're enjoying the music. And there are some dancers coming through. This is quite... Quite something. Thank you. Thank you all very much indeed. Absolutely amazing. Oh, and there's some more singing. Here we go. There are people who look like uh, Mongol warriors and they are standing to attention and they're representing an area of, you have to forgive the pronunciation, uh, Kashkadaria. Behind me there are plates of pistachios and almonds and ooh, what is that? Let's see if we can find it. So I see here almonds and pistachios, but what is the other thing that is black? Say magis, magis. Uh, like uh, it's from uh, like grapes, you know? Ah, it's dried, ra it's raisins. Yes. These are black raisins, but they look so fresh, like they've just come from the tree. They are really juicy. For a dried fruit, those are very, very juicy. Thank you so much. Okay, I think it's time for me to have a break. My throat is already killing me from all the talking and shouting above the music. I need to go and take some photographs to do some filming. I've got to do some writing. You'll find all of that on the Jerusalem Post website. You'll find it on our social media at Mark David Pod. You can always email, of course, about all of this, and you do that through Mark David Pod at gmail.com. Finally, I've managed to get away from the madding crowd, the noise, the music, the smells of the main exhibition areas, and I've come into another much calmer, more peaceful, dare I say, even more beautiful area, which represents the craft work, the culture of this country of Uzbekistan and I found somebody who is a very very good English speaker if you don't mind me saying so um, who's going to tell us about a fascinating project so first of all tell me your name and the organization that you represent my name is Mahftuna and we are representatives of gold embroidery factory Malika Sultan in Bukhara this isn't just a regular factory. First of all, let's describe some of the things that are around us. Could you just talk us through one or two of the things that we're looking at? Of course, if you are agree, my granny will talk about them and I will uh, interpret it. Did you say your granny? Yes, of course, she's my granny and we are fifth generation in this handicraft. That is incredible because before I turned on the microphone, you said that this is the head of the company. At no point, I don't think you said that this is your granny. Now, I happen to know your name is Mahfouza, right? Hello, my name is Mahfouza Salimova. I am director in Golden Embroidery. So, can you tell me just briefly, in short, a little bit about the history of the company? Я уже 40 лет работаю на этой сфере. Я пятое поколение. She has been working in this area for 40 years and she is the fifth generation in this handicraft. She worked before the independence. She worked in a gold embroidery factory as a director and after the independence she established her own working place, own factory of gold embroidery. This year during the festival of gold embroidery and jewelry she established her own and unique in Central Asia Museum of Gold Embroidery. When I first met you and I said I was from Israel, your eyes lit up. 
Tell me a little bit about your connection in Bukhara with the Jewish community. Most Bukharan Jews now live overseas, either in Israel or America. Bukharian Jewish and Bukharian people, they are very close. And now, uh, despite they are living uh, overseas, we had a good connection with them because we export all of our products to American Jewish uh, Congress, to American Jewish Society. And recently, the first secretary of uh, ambassador of United States in Uzbekistan, Mr. Donald Lu uh, visited to our gold embroidery museum and most of uh, Jewish uh, traditions that demands uh, this gold embroidery products and we are uh, happy to inform that we have uh, such uh, clients who, can, who will appreciate our works because this kind of things they are very rare and the people who can understand it also rare. Let's talk a little bit about the work that goes into this. Behind me is a, a jacket. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, a chapon. So it's a chapon. It is what down to knee length. It is embroidered in the most incredible way. They are royal blue with a very light gold embroidery with reds and greens and intricate work. Tell me a little bit about how it's made, how long it takes, who does it? It is made by our handcraft women. One chapon takes two months to do it and as you see, you said a royal blue, uh, the, uh, the fabrics of it, and uh, it's very expensive and we bring them from Dubai and we do them with golden streets. They do it with a needle by hand for a lot of time. In the past, emirs of Bukhara, the rulers and governors of Bukhara uh, wore this kind of Japans. Now uh, you can see that grooms and brides also wear this in the weddings. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Whilst wandering around this tourism fair, I've been a good boy until now. I've been as I'm sure the Uzbekistan tourism officials would want me to do, been talking about the beautiful regions to visit, the places you can go, some of the hotels and so on. And then finally, I had to sin. And I'm sinning over a bottle of wine. And I'm doing this in the company of a lady by the name of Elvira, who is pouring the glasses of wine. And when I said to her, can I buy this in a shop? She took a step back and says, no, you can't buy this in a shop. And I said, why not? And this time I've decided to record the answer. So Elvira, tell us a little bit about this winery. Our project Havli Kalhoz Delicious Uzbekistan, it's not about the wine only. It's about Uzbekistan culture, about traditional national food and about the wines in common. So you can come to our place you can try very delicious local food. You can look around about our nature, about everything. And sure, you can try our wine there. If you will like, and I'm sure that you will like, you can buy a bottle for yourself, but only one, because we don't produce a lot. How many do you produce each year? About 500 bottles, only for our close friends. I guess then I should ask you, if you're so localized, why come to a fair like this, come to, to Tashkent and tell everybody about it, if it's something that is so small and special? We are working now in a test way, we're just testing this place. In the spring of 23, we will start to accept a lot of people, a lot of tourists. So that's why we come here, to make some marketing for our place. Now I am no wine expert as my co-presenter on the podcast Mark will tell you but I'm going to sniff and I'm going to get it completely wrong but you also said you're not a sort of expert on the wines as such but we'll do it together. The smell is very subtle it's very gentle which is better for me it's a red for me it's not heavy in tannins it's a very light crisp wine is that right? There is two types of grapes, grapes in this wine. The Parkian grape, one, the name of one is uh, Sapiravi, the name of another one is Cabernet. So try it, maybe you'll like, I don't know, but I like this one very much. 
So I've been sipping while you were explaining, and generally, I forgive me, I prefer white wines, but this is very drinkable. It's very nice. Elvira, the one thing you haven't told us is where in Uzbekistan you're located and why in that area. There is very close. Uh, we produce this wine from uh, the grapes from Parkent area, and our place is near Tashkent. Ten minutes, you can uh, reach this place with a taxi. Because uh, if you will use the car, you can drink. Uh, we think about this too. <laughs> That's why I'm drinking now because I only have to drive in three days' time. So, if anybody wants to know more to find out. How can they get information? How can they be in touch with you? We have a page in Instagram. The name of the, this page is Havlikal uh, Host Delicious Uzbekistan. So you can just look around and you will find. Okay, you can have to say it one more time and much more slowly for those of us who don't speak Uzbek. Say the name of the Instagram page more slowly. Havlikal Host Delicious Uzbekistan. Thank you so much, Elvira, for your time, for your wine, for your lovely smile and for coming to the fair because otherwise I wouldn't have known about you. You are welcome. We love people. So I just got back to the hotel and who should be grinning at me but the lovely, delectable, delightful, it's the host with the most, it's Mark Gordon. Reunited and it feels so good. You should have seen what we were writing to each other on Facebook. People would have thought. Not a lot, because the internet, <laughs> the airport along the way was not great. So how was? Yeah, well, I wish I could have been with you today. It looks like you've had a fun day. I've been looking at your pictures. As I did say at some point while recording, I don't know if it'll make the final cut to the podcast, you can see a lot of the pictures in our social media, at Mark David Pod. And I'm wearing a present that <laughs> you bought me, although I think it's not my present. It's a really lovely Bukharan kippah. This was something that was really sweet and has summed up. If you wanted to say to me, what's the highlight of your day? It was that people are just very, very kind here. Everybody, when they're thanking each other, touch their heart with their open hand, with their palm towards their heart. I wanted to borrow somebody's Bukharan hat, kippah, for a photograph. So he said, take it. So I took it and then was in the photograph and then wanted to give it back to him. He said, no, no, no. When I said take it, I meant take it just a gift from somebody and that has very much for me been the highlight of, of my time so far in Uzbekistan I think I'm spending a total of 10 hours in Tashkent of which seven of them will be asleep so I, I haven't really got to see it and it's dark what's been your impression of Tashkent broad boulevards almost French like really impressive straight streets very poor driving, lots of, it's almost like being back in Israel, lots of car horns tooting. Some of the buildings are inspiring. Uh, one of the mosques that we passed today was just tremendous, not just in scale, but the architecture and, and, and the fine craftwork in the tiles was unbelievable. There are here and there remnants of the Soviet period, so you'll see some of those low-rise buildings in the background, but I think a lot of those are being either demolished or having their fronts remodeled and all around there is construction here. And for those of you who are thinking it's a small backwater, as you were saying just before we started recording, Mark, there are three million people uh, in this town. Oh, I thought you were about to say I, I said it was a small backwater. <laughs> I mean, you talk about Tashkent. It's somewhere I've never been to. I've not really been in this part of the world. So I, I didn't know what to expect. But it feels very modern, not quite European, but not not so far away from it. The airport feels a bit maybe less that the way you come out of the airport feels a bit less Western European. But my experience today, and obviously I've seen a fair bit more than you, was very much, even though we're in Central Asia, it was very much still a continuation of that Euro-Asian landmass and modern cons and, and so on. The conference center that I was in today had anything that you could possibly want. Very impressive. What about tomorrow? Early start. <sighs> It's going to be an early start of the week. Tomorrow, we're going to Bukhara. And one of the exciting things about this trip for me is when I lived in England, before I came to live in Israel, we had a local shaliach, a local representative of the Jewish agency who was there to promote people coming to live in Israel. Uh, and her family were of Romanian origin. And one of the reasons I was a day late is I went to see a concert and her sister plays violin for Dudu Tassa. What's this got to do with Bukhara? 
Her husband is Bukharan. Oh, that, God, that was a long way to go. So this week, right. we're going to Bukhara. And next week, although a preview for a future podcast, we're going to Romania. Good point. So I actually managed to cover both parts of the family in a week. Anybody who has travelled extensively through Jerusalem will be familiar with the Bukharan neighbourhood, so-called because many of the people who set up that neighbourhood in the first place came from the city of Bukhara in Uzbekistan. And that's where we're headed right now. Uzbekistan Fact File. Tashkent can be reached with Uzbekistan Airways from New York, London, Tel Aviv, Dubai, Frankfurt and Istanbul. Fly Dubai and Wizz Air Abu Dhabi fly to both Tashkent and Samarkand's new airport operated by Air Marakanda. Turkish Airlines flies from Istanbul to Tashkent, Samarkand and Bukhara. Samarkand, Bukhara and Tashkent are linked by the high-speed Afrosiyob rail line. Tashkent has a metro system with four lines. Tickets cost around 1,400 som or 12 cents. Taxis in Bukhara and Samarkand are inexpensive and will cost less than a dollar for a short ride. In Tashkent, there's a Hilton, Hyatt Regency, Wyndham and Courtyard by Marriott. In Bukhara, there are a few four-star hotels, the Sahid Zarafshan, Turan City Plaza and Dera. In Samarkand, the Silk Road Tourist Complex has a number of high-quality hotels. The Regency Amit Tamur, Silk Road by Minyun, Savitsky Plaza and two wellness hotels, Sogd and Afrosiob. In the city, the pick of the Continental and the Shakhoda Elite. The currency is the Uzbek Som. One dollar equals 11,300 Som as of December 2022. There is a Jewish restaurant called Shalom in Tashkent. Bet Chabad in Tashkent offers catering services. Call while you're there 050-283-7352. Meat is the star of the menu in Uzbekistan. Use the Happy Cow app to find vegetarian restaurants. Good morning, David. A very good morning to you. That was very cheery because I think we should be a little bit more reverent where we are at the moment. Oh, okay, I'm facing backwards, so I don't <laughs> see. We are in the Jewish cemetery in Bukhara. A good place to start. This is actually quite phenomenal. We are surrounded by parts of the modern city of Bukhara. Bukhara is in a desert area of Uzbekistan. The temperatures here get up to well into the 40s, which is what? 105. Well over 100, yeah. And go down as we are experiencing right now to well under freezing. Yeah, yeah, to about freezing in um, Fahrenheit. Today is around minus 5, minus 6, which is about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. We flew in this morning from Tashkent. It takes about an hour. It's a really easy trip from Tashkent to Bukhara if you want to come to Bukhara. You can actually walk from the airport in Bukhara into town. We've come first with our guide, whom we're going to introduce you to in a few minutes' time, to the cemetery. The cemetery is beautifully, beautifully preserved. We were introduced to the director of the cemetery, given his business card, and he said, I am a proud Muslim and I am proud to be working in the Jewish cemetery to make sure that it is kept in good working order. And this is also a functioning cemetery today. The entrance to the cemetery is in a style I think we'll see plenty of over the next couple of days. The blue dome, similar to a lot of the mosques in the area, but with a mug and David on top. And now we are going to take you to something that is... It's one of the most remarkable places I've ever been. We're looking at the outside of a dome. And atop the dome is... Would you call that a cupola? I'd call it a smaller dome. (laughs) There's like a mini dome on top of the dome. Let's go down. This is not going to be easy because we're holding our microphones and our equipment whilst going down some very steep steps. Wait for me, David. You're right. Yeah, we, yep. we can't go too far apart. Mind now, the you, salt. You will hear as we come in that we have entered inside a dome. Oh, look at this. It's a swimming pool. No, it's not a swimming pool. It is the mikveh. This mikveh that we are in 
And yes, we're in a cemetery, and a mikvah, for those of you who don't know, is a ritual bathing pool. This is the mikvah that the Jewish community of Bukhara would use even though it's within the same site as the cemetery. I think specific land was given over to the community. There isn't a large amount of land available. So they've built the mikvah on the land next to the cemetery. It actually, if I've got my numbers right, predates the cemetery by about 800 years. We've been told that the mikvah is 1,250 years old. It could be from the year 1250. We, we, We're figuring it out. But We're still, working from translation. It's at least 700 years old, and the cemetery is 450 years old. It's remarkable, and it's natural water, and there is very little water in this area. As we mentioned, the temperatures here soar, and so they get a little bit of rain only. October and a little bit of November, so they get a month's rain. Rainwater would gather here, and the water that was in the mikvah would have to make do until the following October. The walls of a mikvah are covered in salt, which is what you see when we flew over in the desert. And around the edge of the cemetery, they have special trees that absorb the salt and keep it away from the gravestones. Now, Mark, if you hold the recording gear, what I'm going to do now... Um, is I'm going to rub my fingers against the wall and hopefully you'll hear this with the microphone and, and you'll, you'll hear the salt peeling off the walls which will give you an idea of just how thick it is. I like the fact we have a whole massive building and you decide to peel the salt on the one spot where my bag is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. Hi, this is David Harris from the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MarkDavidPod, or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. We've entered the old city of Bukhara, and now is a really good time to introduce you to our new friend and our guide. Would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Munir. Monir is impeccably turned out. He has a lovely coat and a lovely cap and is only 24 and making us feel very, very old. How long have you lived in Bukhara and why did you become a tour guide? I was born in Bukhara actually. As I grow up, I see the future of tourism here is very, very progressing. So that's why I choose to be a tour guide here. What are we going to do today? You've already taken us to the Jewish cemetery start on a high note where are we going from there today our plan after cemetery we will go to jewish synagogue then we will see the main highlights of labi house complex trading domes minarets and ark fortress sounds really good Monir has driven us from the cemetery and we are now in the old city of bukhara we've walked about two three minutes and seen some very, very interesting buildings. The old original buildings are there, but they've all been refaced. And then down a very, very small alleyway, he has brought us to the Bukhara Jewish Synagogue. And we are now going to talk to the president of the Bukhara Jewish community, Abram Ishakov. <laughs> I would like to say thank you. Now we have today guests from Jerusalem Post. We have made in the cemetery several uh, hours ago and we are in the synagogue now. Today uh, in Bukhara there are about 200 Jews who live here, but in the history there were more than 20,000. Most of them immigrated to Germany, Austria and other countries. Although we are very few people here, we celebrate all of the Jewish national holidays here. 
all of them we will we gather here on Sundays, Saturdays, and uh, we celebrate all of the Pascha and other uh, holidays here. This is one of the most historical synagogues in Central Asia. It is about 420 years old. This synagogue was built by Muslims, by Nader Divan Begi. This means Muslims and Jewish people live in a peace here. In this room, I should describe for our listeners for a moment, we have in typical more eastern style there are lots of drawings on the wall of Hanukkiot there is a, a, a Hamsa the Shema Yisrael the Holy Prayer on the wall the mention of Ben Parat Yosef the priestly blessing with the fingers divided there are four curtains behind which the Torahs are kept how many synagogues were there in Bukhara and how many are still running today there were more than 20 in the history. The single and only one functioning is this. I have to ask you a question that is not polite. How old are you? 73 years old. You're the president, you're the leader of the community. It's a small community and it's getting smaller. What happens afterwards? What's the next generation going to be like? They, the, the people, the locals, local Jews, are not going to Israel. Recently, there were five families came here. Hey, shalom, shalom, oleno, wal kol We've moved not very far away from the synagogue. We've left Abram and his beautiful singing behind us. And we've come to the place that I think most people come to Bukhara for, and that's to see some incredibly old buildings from Islam and even pre-Islam. So Munir, where are we right now, the building that we're standing in front of? Now we are in the front of Magoki Atori object. It was built uh, from uh, before Islam religion. Islam came to Bukhara in 750s. And at that time, this was temple of Zoroastrian religion. Islamic militaries, Islamic troops came here and converted this object into the masjid. Masjid is a mosque. There is a legend that when Nader Devanbegi started building synagogue in Old City, Muslims and Jews in the same time worshipped in this object. So the Jews and Muslims were in the Zoroastrian temple. That is a legend. Maybe it's real. When Muslims came here, Jews leave. After worship of Muslims, Jews come here and they worship. Let's talk a little bit, at least from the outside, about the architecture. You say that this building has its roots in the 4th century. So we're talking 1700 years ago. When you look at the building, in a way it's a bit like the, the Western Wall in Israel. There are different layers. You can see the different ages on there. There's a little bit of faded color on the arch, the blue that is so prevalent here. There are two domes, a very old wooden door. How many different versions of this building do you think are put together to make one building? How many different eras are there? This building is reconstructed by several dynasties which lived in Bukhara. Nowadays the construction works are going on and in the near future we are going to open here new Bukhara carpet museum. Before we came here we walked around a complex in front of the synagogue. There was a large water pond in front of it and then three beautiful buildings. Can you tell us what that complex is and what each of the buildings are? This building is called Labi Hovus Complex. This complex consists of three buildings. First one is Honako. Honako means 
caravansaray there were sufis like travelers come and stayed a night and they went the pond was for the locals for drinking water the third building is nadir devan begi madrasa madrasa means today's university students came lived there and got education there from something that i've learned reading about uzbekistan but also this broader region next to many mosques there are madrasas they go together right yes education is one of the main part of our religion as we came from the complex we walked through an archway with a dome above it and you mentioned it had something to do with the silk road what was the purpose of that building this building called taqi sarrafon sarraf means money this building as you know bukhara is located in the center of silk road from the silk road lots of nations come and go here this building main function was exchanging all of the currencies from all of the nations you're listening to the jerusalem post podcast travel edition with mark gordon and david harris we've left the cold we've had some plov for lunch and we are in a magnificent building full of carpets and we have a special guest here to tell us a little bit more about it. Shalom alaikum. Oh, hello, Hebrew. What's your name? I'm Sabina and uh, I'm the fifth generation producing carpets by hand and everything you see here is made by hand naturally dyed with tribal traditional patterns. So we have sheep wool, camel wool, goats wool carpets and silk. Prices in general they start costing from 100 US dollars it goes up to 120,000 US dollars for a carpet. So it depends on size, design and everything. In 2019 we had over 200 girls working for us. Because of COVID, factories only working for 10% today, so we only have about 23 girls in today working. The oldest carpet there is in the world now which exists was made in 5th century BC and it's now in the Hermitage Museum of Russia which was made in Bukhara, the oldest carpet in the world by hand. The technology of carpet weaving is still same as it was in 5th century. You said you had 200 girls. Is it something that's only done by women and is there a reason why? Do you think men could have that much patience as we do? generally no but i have met men that can crochet and carpet weaving in uzbekistan traditionally was mainly for ladies but in some other countries men also do carpets but not in uzbekistan what's the difference between a carpet that costs $100 and one that costs $100,000 if it's handmade or machine made the difference on the quality of the carpets there is only five things to know about the carpet one is made by hand or machine number two is material silk wool synthetic cotton anything number three is the density number of knots per square centimeter more knots carpet is denser more work more durable more valuable number 4 is the color and the design how intricate pattern how many colors design and so on number 5 is the size of the carpet so this is full of color and really intricate in its design there are multiple patterns on it how long would this take to make and would it be made by one person over a long period of time or would a team make it the size of the carpet is 2 by 3 meters and it's made of 100% silk fully so the base is silk the warp and the weft is all silk so a carpet which has the most intricate pattern the name of the design is called qashqawi it's the zoroastrian pre-islamic design it, it considers as one of the most complicated oldest expensive design of bukhara which was made in 7th century before islam i mean zoroastrian design of bukhara two girls worked on this carpet two and a half years to do it because it has 320 knots per square centimeter that means highest density you can get these days in the world if it's not child labor the price is only $48,000 I'll have two then um <laughs> practical question here i spent nearly $50,000 on a beautiful silk carpet can i wash it if i spill some wine on it 
The differences between machine and hand carpet. Machine-made carpet, the first day you walk on it, it gets second-hand. The price will be 50% less if you would like to resell it. A handmade carpet, as much as you walk on it, the price gets much more valuable. As more you walk on it, the number of knots gets tighter, quality gets better, beautiful, durable, it'll get much more valuable. You could wash, vacuum, walk, use forever. Ladies and gentlemen, if there is a sponsor out here who would like to sponsor this podcast to the tune of $48,000, I think we at the podcast could find a very good use for it. Thank you. Thank you. As we say in Bukhara, Bukharian carpets are Shatiyah Meofef. Shatiyah Meofef means flying carpet. Now we're going to take you back, not a century or two, but fully back to the early part of the 12th century, almost 900 years ago exactly, to construction of the oldest surviving building here. It's a tale of religion. It's a tale of invading Mongols. It's a tale of belief. It's also got some tragic parts to it. Our storyteller is the man who's been showing us around this beautiful city, Munir. This is the tower. Its name is Minaret Kalan, which means Grand Minaret. It was built in the early 12th century by Arslan Khan. It reaches 48 meters. Main function of this minaret for Azan, for calling people to pray on time. It witnessed lots of historical invasions, lots of historical events, but it still survives, it still functions. Looking at the base of the minaret, I can see some holes. Is there a story behind the holes? I think also when we were talking on the way up, and, and you've mentioned Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan has been to the minaret, hasn't he? Yes, yes. In the beginning of 13th century, Genghis Khan came to Bukhara. Uh, not came, but invaded to Bukhara. And he came here and saw the minaret and suddenly his cap fall down. By picking up his cap, he witnessed that he showed his respect, this minaret, and he understand that something secret behind this building. He set free this building and burned all of the buildings in Bukhara and killed about 30,000 boy children and buried it under the minaret. That is the history of this minaret. In front of the minaret is a large square and I don't know if this is typical of all of Uzbekistan, but the complex we saw earlier was like this. To the right of the minaret is the mosque, and to the left of the minaret is another really large, ornate building. What are these two buildings, and when were they built? In the eastern side of this building is called Mir Arab Madrasa. It was built in the beginning of 16th century by Shaibanit dynasty. This is one of the unique madrasa because it worked in Central Asia during SSSR period. The western side of the object is called Masjid Kalon, which means Grand Mosque. It was built in the beginning of 16th century by Shaibanit dynasty and it can serve for 100,000 people in Juma worship days. It still works, but uh, now nowadays it's under construction. 100,000 people at the same time? Yes. Oh, wow. Munir, you've grown up in this city. Your wife is from the city. You're bringing up your child in this city. It's one of the most historic places on earth. As you said earlier, it is very much at the center of the Silk Road. In your heart, deep inside, how do you feel as you go around this city? Is it just, hey, it's my home, I'm used to it, or is there something deeper? I miss these buildings if I don't see them for a month. I like these buildings and I cannot imagine my life without seeing them every month. I think it's time to put our feet up, David. I'm exhausted. Our day hasn't finished. No, we will carry on. But I think the podcast is coming to an end. 
what we're going to do is our usual ending. Don't forget, we're about to give you the answer to the quiz question. But in addition to that, we're going to be doing another podcast telling you all about this wonderful city of Bukhara by night. And then we're going to go on to mystical and historic Samarkand. For now, we need to do some big thank yous to Uzbekistan Airways for bringing us here, for Air Marakanda, who are taking us out of here, really, (laughs) uh, at the end of the next podcast, and will be showing us around parts of Samarkand as well, and to the Uzbekistan Ministry of Tourism and all the wonderful sub-offices in the places that we've been for showing us around. A special thanks in Bukhara to our guide Munir, who has shown us around Bukhara, and we have had a fabulous time here. In addition to that, we want to give one particularly big thank you to the person who really set all of this in motion, someone that we met about a year ago. Uh, Nine months ago. And about. I'm being pedantic. uh, No. And um, has, has been chasing us ever since and finally brought us over here. And that is Uzbekistan's ambassador to Israel. Feruza Mahmudova. Well done. So thank you to all of you. It has been a wonderful trip so far. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star rating. And if you want to hear more of our podcasts going forward, please subscribe. If you want to listen to any of our podcasts going backwards, then go through our directory. This will be, I think, our 49th podcast. It's extremely exciting, and we thank you for all of your support. Our numbers of listeners are going up all the time on social media, more and more impact with our colleagues over at the Jerusalem Post. So we thank you for what you've done so far, and please ask you to continue doing so. David. The quiz answer. Okay. I can't even remember what the question was. I think the question was, Uzbekistan and Liechtenstein share a unique geographical fact. Or feature. Feature. And that is that both of those nations are double landlocked. Are you going to explain double landlocked? No. Okay. Double landlocked means that in order to get from Uzbekistan or Liechtenstein to the sea, You don't have to go through just one country, you have to go through two countries, and they're the only places in the world where that is the case. Which generally is a disadvantage because it makes it difficult to go and trade, Mm -hmm. but it's an advantage if someone wants to come and invade you, they're not going to bring the navy. Safe as houses. Amen. Folks, it's been a fantastic first part of this journey. Please join us the next time on the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. And a big rahmat, as they say here, for listening. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.